Hey everybody, thanks for downloading this episode of the Chicago Podcast Network's Out Front with AJ and Nick. You can find us on Twitter under Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Gmail, Network at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook on our page there, Chicago Podcast Network. And most importantly, you can support the show by downloading and subscribing to this podcast and all Chicago Podcast Network podcasts through iTunes, Android, and any other device that you use. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks, everybody. And here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Out Front with AJ and Nick. This is Nick Sorantos coming to you live. Well, not live. This is recorded. It's a podcast. I, that's just the force of radio habit, AJ, to say coming to you live. I've been saying that for 15 years, and now I need to get, you know, deal with it. But we today are going to be discussing, well, it's kind of the aftermath of a little Facebook post I did, and also the uh, outcome of the Chicago Cubs, New York Mets, uh, National League Championship Series, and how the internet reacted to it, and kind of how that mirrors other stuff. So basically, let's let's go with what happened the Cubs lost and even though I'm a White Sox fan I was really bothered by the Cubs fan casual Cubs fan reaction to what happened which was this attitude of it's not a big deal that they lost they'll win next year now it's hockey season and that really annoyed me because it felt like people weren't heartbroken over the loss and I kind of did a little, you know, Facebook post angrily about it. And let's see if I can find it. Because I want to make sure that we get it right. The, uh, the big thing for me with it was just the idea that you, you can't be a sports fan and not care when your team loses. And that really, really bothered me. So what ended up happening is... I put up this post, people started reacting to it, and things kind of got out of hand from that point on. The internet, uh, all the people on our Facebook wall, uh, on my Facebook wall, kind of came back with it. And AJ had an idea that if you kind of mirror the two things, it's it's similar to what goes on with American politics. AJ, why don't you kind of go ahead and give an idea of what you wanted to talk about there? So... You're right. I mean, there's this mentality among Cubs fans that when they lose, and this one was a particular big loss for them, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that was fun. We move on to something else. And it's like, this is exactly the problem that goes on when people vote in elections in the United States. Because if their candidate doesn't get in office or they don't want to vote for either Republican or Democrat, they want to vote third party, and it's like, okay, that was fun, we move on. I think there's a correlation between the two that there's something there in the American psyche when you have, an, when you're supporting a, a, an organization like the Cubs, and they haven't won the World Series since 1909. And it's like, okay, We'll come back next year, and and that's fine. And it's not fine, you know. If you are a sports fan, in my view, and probably the same view you have, Nick, is 
if they don't win, then you move on to something else. There's a Southside team that you can root for. Go up to Chicago's attic. That's Milwaukee. Go vote for someone else, you know? Yeah. Um, in the same way with politics, you know, we, we can kind of see that with, like, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. And people like Bernie Sanders, but if he doesn't get in as a front runner for the Democratic nomination, then it's like, well, that was fun. Now we move on. It's like, no, <laughs> if your person didn't get in, then you should be royally upset and either jump ship and go somewhere else or, you know, try to make certain changes and everything. And I think if you look at the two, I think we can find some ways to kind of fix the problem, both in the sports world and the political arena. It also works out when you think about it, the the way that the people change this stuff. It's I call it... You know, there's this this term out there nowadays. You know, of Facebook activism or factivism, yeah. however the hell you want to phrase it, and it's this idea that as long as people, uh, you know, post something that they they've done something, and it's gone that way with sports fandom too. It, it happens, you know, even more so nowadays. With the best example I can say is it, it, there were people who were posting, the "Cubs lost, too bad. At least it's ha- it's hawk season now." And if you can just move your fandom like that, it bothers me. I have a friend of mine named Mike. I I call him Goofy. He is my Messiah. He's a he's the Jew born on Christmas who I who I worship. He uh, he's a diehard Cubs fan. Like a, a, a what is the term? A dra- born in the wool or dragged in the wool mm-hmm. Cubs fan. And he, I could tell from talking to him because I I. I, I He's the one I have the rivalry with as a Sox fan. He's the one every year we have a $50 bet that no one's ever collected on who's going to have the better record at the end of the year. And we've been doing that for 10 years. And he and I have had this thing going back and forth for all this time where we just talk smack to each other, talk smack about each other's teams and, and everything. And as much as I was taking pleasure in the Cubs losing, and I was, I'm never going to deny that, but... I felt bad for people like him and my roommate who are actual baseball fans who are surrounded by these, you know, and I don't like to use the term bandwagon jumpers because it's not even fair because these people do have some long-term loyalty to the Cubs. It's just the way that other people who aren't really baseball fans, what they're fans of is the event and being able to be part of the event. It's It goes to that Super Bowl thing where the, the the day of the least suicides in the United States of America is the Super Bowl. And the reason for that is people feel like they're part of something. I feel the Cubs kind of had something similar going where people were just, they all wanted to be part of the party. They all want to be in on it and a part of it. But then when it's over and they, they don't have the emotional investment with the team, so they, they feel okay going, ah, well, who cares? We'll move on to something else. And then you got the real fans like my buddy Mike who, he's angry. His team choked. They didn't show up. They didn't hit. They didn't do the one thing that they were supposed to be able to do. And everyone's going, well, they've got a great team for next year. Wait till next year. Wait till next year. And I, and this is, I finally found the post. This is what I posted. Hey, Cubs fans, stop posting about how it's okay you lost. It's not okay. You should be heartbroken. Your team choked. The pain is what makes winning that much sweeter. I don't think you are a real fan if you aren't angry today. Your team didn't show up at clutch time. You should be pissed. You should be sad. The future isn't written. Parentheses, Doc Brown, because it was back to the future day. The Cubs... 
may never get that far again in your lifetime. The Red Sox of the 40s and 50s were amazingly good teams, and they never won. While the team should be good in the future, it's not the same as winning the series. If you are posting, oh, it's hockey season, go screw, you aren't a sports fan. And then people responded. And then I had my, one of my friends who's also a Sox fan decided to be a jerk, and then he just posted a picture of the White Sox World Series ring immediately following that. And I had to explain to the guy, you're missing the point. You're just completely missing the point of what I'm saying. And it just bothers me. It bothers me that people are willing to let this stuff go. And then you take that into the political arena where you and I have had many arguments over the idea of the difference between Facebook activism and going out into the streets and doing something. You have many times um, said to me that it bothers you that people don't go out and participate. And, I, and it's funny because I'm in the same boat now, but with sports. It's weird. And I'm just... Welcome to my world. Right. I'm just curious. Do you, do you feel that the social media is, in the long run, actually turning out to be more harmful to getting results in a political arena? Do you feel that social media has now almost gotten to the point where it's oversaturated and it's hurting that kind of thing? What's funny about social media um, in the last... I'll say seven years, maybe eight years, is that there's really been this construct that you have people having two types of personalities. You have the person off the screen doing one thing, talking one thing, doing actions one thing. They can be behind a screen, have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and that's really their second life. And there's a whole different personality behind that. Because I've been to meetings where I have meetings in the room with people. We meet a month later, but in between time, we do stuff on Facebook or email listers or what have you. And it's like a whole different person when talking. It's like, you know, what's this about and everything? And I really think that social media has really stripped away um, actual interaction with people and became more talking at people instead of actually having conversations with people. And I think the same thing when people post stuff about their beloved Cubs or Royals or Mets or whatever the case may be. Um, they do one thing, whether it's the tailgate party, at the game, at the sports bar, whatever. But once they go home, it's like, oh, you guys can just screw off and da 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 And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Before you are kind of this passive person. Now you're being a little bit more aggressive when it comes to your Facebook, Twitter, or what have you and everything. Um, but the one thing I want to point at, and I think you may agree with me on this one, Nick. Don't you feel that Chicago has essentially – Two baseball teams, a hockey team, basketball team, and a football team, and a soccer team. I wouldn't count the soccer team, but yeah. Let's just say for the sake of argument that we have those six teams in Chicago. Right, right. Whereas Kansas City has what? Two teams, a baseball team and a football team. No hockey, no basketball, whatever. Don't you think that sports fans, like Royals fans, are more loyal and have that attitude that you're speaking to because of the one team versus Chicago, where it's like, well, that's fine. We can just move on to the next team you're, because you're, you're we talking, have that. You're talking about the pheno- you're talking about the phenomenon of paralysis of choice. Yeah, by by having so many choices that you don't ever fully commit to one thing. 
Yeah. You know, that's that's a fair point. It, it, it kind of goes, there. there's the argument to be made that by having so many teams here and constant, at any given point in a Chicago sports year, we have sports teams playing. There are periods where Kansas City, as like as you're pointing out, doesn't have any teams playing. That they just don't have any sports. Once the football season's over, until baseball season, they don't have anything. We have hockey. We have basketball. The I, I see you have an interesting point there, though. I would argue that. If you look at something like a Kansas City Royals fandom, they've spent so long, you know, suffering that there's also the the idea that they haven't had championships in anything. I mean, the Chiefs have never won anything, uh, at least since I think Super Bowl two. No, mm. four. They won in Super Bowl four uh, after yeah, because the NFC won the first two Super Bowls. Anyway, the. They haven't won anything since that. So sometimes there's also that option. I mean, it's what's going to happen with Cleveland, with the Cavs. They have the Browns. They have the Indians. But the Cavs are their best chance to win a championship for the first time in like 60 years in just that city. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they focus on that team. But I still think that, yes, there are diehard sports fans in America. We, we know that for sure. There are diehard college fans and everything. But the... Truth is, because social media has turned anything into event, think of even the release coming up of Star Wars. Star Wars has, if you really think about it, done very little marketing. You know, they haven't really done much. They've released trailers on the internet. Have you seen a trailer on TV yet? I haven't. They've all been on the internet because they don't need to spend money to merchandise that movie because we're doing all of the marketing for them. And I feel that when it comes to sports... There, there's come this thing now where, and there's, there's a friend of mine who's on Facebook, uh, and I don't want to say her name because I'm kind of gonna, you know, talk a little. And she's a big Blackhawks supporter to the point that when the Kane thing happened, she's one of those people who instantly, you know, I stand with 88 hashtag. And to me, while she was doing that, I, I just constantly felt like, you know, you're not just because you're posting this stuff doesn't mean that you're a fan. To me, a fan. Know stuff about a team's history. My my favorite thing to do is like all the the brand new Blackhawks fans. I go look at him and go, okay, you're a Blackhawks fan. That's great. Who's Doug Gilmore? Who's Tony Amate? Who's you know? Explain to me why we care about you know Stan Mikita. Like what did Stan Mikita do for the Blackhawks? What position did Stan Mikita play? What was his number? Stuff like that that people don't know and don't care to know. And then they go online and they, oh, I'm such a diehard fan. Oh, I can't believe they lost. And you look at them and go, yeah, you say that, but you were still out. You were still doing your stuff. My friends know that if I go out to watch a game for a Chicago team and they lose, I'm leaving. Because I don't want to be around people anymore. Because I'm sad and I'm angry and my team lost and, and I'm pissed. When I was a really diehard Bears fan about three, four years ago, uh, because my thing with the NFL has also changed, people knew. Bears lose, Nick's leaving. Like, he's not staying around. Part of it was I wanted to get in the car and listen to Doug Buffone. I'm not going to lie. Because there's nothing better than, there was nothing better in a Bears loss than listening to the postgame show. But now... You can very casually, like how you're, it's almost the opposite of what you're saying. Like where you're, you're talking about how people can be aggressive. To me, it becomes people can also instantly become so passive and willing to let stuff just kind of go. 
where they're like, yeah, the Cubs lost, big deal, I don't care. They, they've only been to the NLCS like four times in the last, since the formation of the NLCS. Who cares? We don't care. They, they'll win next year. And it's like, you people don't understand baseball because baseball magic is, is a rare thing. You don't go on runs like the Cubs went on this year, every year. Even if you have the best talented team in the year. Look at the Yankees for the last 10 years. They've gotten to the World Series once in the last 10 years. And you can't argue that the Yankees are the most talented team in baseball on paper. They have the best players. They have the best pitchers. They're the goddamn New York Yankees, and they deserve to die. And that process allows people to just kind of let it go. And if you switch it to the political arena, it's like, I want Bernie Sanders in 2016, but I'm not really going to, you know, learn anything about the guy. I want Bernie Sanders because everyone on my Facebook wall wants Bernie Sanders. But I don't actually know what it means to be a socialist. And to be honest, I'm too lazy to really investigate what that means for myself. But you just pretty much summed up activism when you were just talking about being a sports fan. Anytime I work with new activists or organizers you know myself and others would do the same thing i'm like okay so you're an activist or organizer do you remember the battle in seattle in 99 when protests against the world trade organization um do you black panthers young lords um civil rights movement snick and all that and there's like this blank stare and it's almost something, you know, you're not really an activist or an organizer if you don't know these things. So kind of like a sports fan, if you don't know who Stan Makita is and how that's really essential <laughs> to being a Hawks fan, you know, I think it's like one the same when it comes to activism and organizing. Because if you don't know these people who paved the way for us for civil rights, economic justice, fighting for the environment, if you don't know that, but you just want to be involved. I think that's a greater question you should be reflecting upon yourself. Just like being a Blackhawks fan, if you don't know why there's a big rift between the Hawks and the Red Wings, then you're not really a fan at all. You know. So I mean, I think I've been always trying to find a way to um, tell people this thing about slacktivism and stuff like that. But I think you summed it up pretty well when it comes to what a sports fan is should, should be and everything. And I think that's right on point. Well, it, it's funny you say that because, like, knowing your – as you know, you've, you've done some shows with me. I'm a big fan of history will tell you where you're going right? if you're not careful. If, if you don't learn the lessons of world history, activism history, or, hell, even sports history, you're bound to repeat it. The – you know, and by the way, the next question you should always ask them if you ask them if they know WTO, if they know Million Man March, if they know all the other stuff, just ask them about Cesar Chavez. That, that, right. that should be your point. Like, how can one person change the world? Well, there's Cesar Chavez. Just look at him and what he did for the United Farm Workers and United Farm Workers, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, he, it, there's the ability to say that, you know, there's the great line in the West Wing when they. Now, they have a scene where somebody goes, you know, why, why can you, why should you believe that a small group of dedicated people with the power of their beliefs can change the world? And somebody goes, because those are the only people who ever have. Right. You know, that's that's really the way you got to look at activism. And when you look at the the sports thing, and and without knowing your history of 
Like, and, and I'm not talking Cubs curse. I'm talking just unmet potential. I'm talking having Greg Maddox for the first four years of his career and not even being able to make the playoffs. Yeah, you've got Jake Arrieta on the Cubs, but what happened the last th- two games that Jake Arrieta pitched? He wasn't the lights-out, you know, ball buster that he was at the beginning of the, the, the second half of the season. And there's no guarantee that starting next year he doesn't do the exact same thing. And your inability, inability to recognize that tells me that you don't know enough about what you're talking about beyond what you're posting on social media. And we're all guilty of it. Don't get me wrong. We've all done it. We've all posted about stuff or talked about stuff that we don't know. You and I have done it on each other's shows. But... There comes a point where you need to be willing. I think part of it, AJ, is no one ever wants to admit that they don't know. I, I, I have a friend of mine. He's got a problem with that. I, I, I had a friend over six months ago, whatever it was, for WrestleMania. And we're watching the show. And this is a very intelligent person. He's, he's a very smart, scientific background. He works at you know, a scientific laboratory. And he decided to sit there and tell me how wrestling works. This is the first night he's watching wrestling. And it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. I know that you don't know what you're talking about, but you're forcing me into this issue where now I have to like challenge it. Because all you had to say was, oh, that's interesting, I don't know. And I think we have a cultural problem in everything where people just don't want to admit they don't know. And that fear of willfully admitting your ignorance leads to... The inability for people to become educated on an issue. Well, I think it's more speaks to you about one's masculinity than anything else. Now, I haven't talked to a lot of sports fans who are women about this. I'm sure there's a lot of women who do it too. But the men and guys that I've hung out with, there is a huge problem of not knowing. You know, especially if a guy wants to socialize with a whole new group of people about whatever. And they want to look like they know what they're talking about. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great shot. Oh, yeah, the blue line. Oh, yeah, I know about that. You know, that's you should always shoot from the blue line. It's like, no, the big box and attack. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. That's a good point. It, it, it's I wonder how much of it is. Sometimes I wonder about that, how much of what we talk about is really just the idea of masculinity and not wanting to appear weak in the eyes of others. And... It's, it's, you know, I feel bad saying this because the truth is we've been fighting two wars for 11 years now, but you almost wonder sometimes. My dad always calls it, the you know, the wussification of America. Well, he doesn't call it that. He uses a different letter at the beginning of it. Well, I bet. Yeah. Um, and I have to fight with him about it all the time because there's, there is, but there is truth to that, that we've taken a gener- a couple generations now where... Look, you turned 18, you went to war. And now that's seen as something that, and and, and no disrespect to anybody who's ever served, but to me the public perception of of veterans is, well, people who serve in the military are people who don't have any other prospects. Does that make sense? The people who volunteer for the Army, yes, there's a history of, in some cases, it's a military family. But for the most part, the people who serve, you know, we hear it all the time. It's, it's the under, it's the, it's the, 
poor, the underprivileged, those are the people who end up volunteering to serve in the military because they don't have anywhere else to go. And, you know, we, we have prison sentences or, or judges who sentence people to military service to teach them a lesson, to get them back into society. And I think that serving in the military was one of those places you went, for lack of a better term, to, to test your mettle in the world. We don't test our mettle anymore. There's nothing to stand against and to rise up against. And I, I wonder if the bitchy nature of social media is part of that, is that there's, there's a masculine side, uh, there's an evolutionary side to all men. Well, we're kind of always looking for a fight, even if we're not mm-hmm. violent people. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And, you know, I think, I feel that you're right when it comes to a certain demographic of people going to the military. If you came to my hometown area, you would see more people who have served or about to serve in the military because it feels like that natural progression that, you know, you graduate from high school, you go in the military. Um, I don't know what it was like at your high school, but my high school we have seniors on the floor in the gym with the other underclass the juniors and the underclassmen there kind of showing off you know the um, new alumni of Strong high school i would say 40 percent of the seniors really going to be in the army marines or navy okay. and i graduated with 287 i'm sorry do those numbers again i graduated in 287 right and it seemed like 40% of them was going to go in the military of some sort. That is, that's a huge amount. Meanwhile, I come from, I come from Glenville and, um, like I was saying, right? No, I mean, it's, it, but it's a great point because I come from a high school where I really do believe that there's like four kids from my graduating class who served in the military. Yeah, but then you have to ask yourself, serve in what capacity? And that's the other question, because a lot of them went to officers' training at West Point, or uh, they went. I know a couple of people went to Air Force Academy, who I grew up with, but they didn't go directly into enlistment. I can't think of anybody from, and I grew up in a military-based town. I mean, there, there was a Navy oh, yeah. base oh, yeah, in you Glenview. Did. You know, there's a Navy base in Glenview most of my life, and I believe it closed my junior year. And a lot of those kids left, but I'm willing to bet that if I went back and looked at it, maybe I could probably count on both hands the number of people who eventually served in the military who were either in my class, the class above me, or the class behind me. Because everyone there had prospects going forward out of school. Even the ones who didn't go to college, my high school trained you well enough that you could enter the workforce pretty early and, and, and work. You know, And a lot of people went to trade school and all that stuff. Right. Very little pressure. I remember military recruiting day when they had the guy from the Army come by, and it was a joke in our school. I mean, it really was. It was a joke in our school. As we walked through the hallways, like everyone was like joking, like, hey, well, if you don't behave, well... We'll fill out the paperwork and send you to wherever. Like it was, that's what it was done. And in your school, you know, forty percent, Jesus. Now, but also keep in mind. So we have, um, was it around May Memorial Day? Yeah. So around Memorial Day in my town in Sterling, we have like this big celebration for those who served, and there's a a program where they announce, you know, if you served in X war, please stand up. They're going back to World War One because we still have a few of those around town. 
<laughs> so World War One, they all stand up. So from World War One up to this war, you know, and we're talking about four hundred people show up to this thing, and you know, it seems like half the people sh- stand up, especially those who served multiple wars. A, a family friend of ours, he has served from Korea all the way through um, First Gulf the Iraqi War. War. Desert Storm. Okay. That was his last thing he did. So even like that. And you look around and you see various military recruiters there. And you, and you kind of feel like you're the outsider. Because like all the cool kids, if it were, were going to go into the military. Whereas you're like, I'm like, I'm not signing up for that. Because <laughs> I know what's going to happen once I go over there. Well, it's funny. I, I I always say it's funny, but it, it, it's interesting because you and I have talked many times about the fact that we grew up in a very interesting period historically uh, in the United States history because we were coming off of arguably the most unpopular war in the history of the country when we were small kids. You know, I was born in 1982. The last chopper left Saigon in, what, 75? Something like that. Is it 75 or 76? And so, you know, it had been, it hadn't even been 10 years uh, when I was born that we had left that war. And my mother was very much against the Vietnam War. She helped get a couple kids from her school who had been drafted up into Canada to help them not have to go fight in a war that she didn't believe in. I was raised with that. And then, if you remember, movies in the 80s and early 90s, who were the villains in movies? They were either rich white people, businesses, or the military itself. You know, think of the net or enemy of the state or the siege. In those movies, the military is is, is feared. I grew up as an X-Files fan. I, I have such a distrust of the government as a result of those, of being raised that way. And to have the military recruiters come to my school and it's just like, no, I'm not going to serve in your totalitarian government for your meaningless, arbitrary system. 9-11 happens, my tune changed. I'll be the first to tell you that if, if if George Bush hadn't been such a horrible domestic president, I would have voted for him for his second term. Like he was just such a bad president domestically that he, anybody with a brain should have known not to vote for him. But I completely, I was one of those people who was completely duped and believed that we should go to Iraq. I was one of those people, like, when they go, oh, how could you have supported the Iraq war? Because I was lied to, and I was told that there was a reason to go there. And you look at the way that coming out of that war, or or the beginnings of those wars, within the launch of Facebook, uh, MySpace, even before Facebook, Mm -hmm. the Internet itself... You know, we always talk about the infancy of the Internet as a generation, like, oh, well, I remember the Internet in the 90s with dial-up. But even early, if you go back and try to think of a website that you went to in 2001 and what that same website, www.com, as an example, just the technology that is available to us now to get the information lickety-split in high definition, you have shrunk the world, but you've also shrunk everybody else's universe. Is that, do you understand what I mean by that? Oh, no. I mean, I was reading something the other day on how the Internet has made our world smaller. You know, when I was younger, I dreamed of, you know, going to Europe, 
South America and Africa. But the only way I can do it is by travel to see the things I see on pictures, the things I saw on television, right? I mean, television in itself kind of made our world smaller, but the internet has really made it even smaller, you know? So if you want to see, hey, what does the Trevion Fountain in Rome look like? Well, you just go to Google Maps and right there. Right. You know, you don't have to save up thousands of dollars to get on a plane and travel to that and everything or look at a picture. You can look at it from Google Maps. You can do it in street view as if you're standing right there on your screen and everything. You know, so no, the Internet has really made our world smaller. Even social media has made our world smaller, you know. Well, you and I have talked about this before, and it's the idea, though, that the, the problem, the, the downside to the shrinking of the world to what you can see on your screen is the way that the ads work and the way that the information, you know, formulas work, the algorithms on your search engines, your universe becomes contracted to what you care about. The best example for me is, is again, you know, and this isn't like, oh, Nick, the, the, the wrestling fan, but if you look at, I, I go online and I Google, you know, or I go to bleacherreport.com slash WWE. Well, my computer tracks that. So now, whenever I, I go on any other website, the first stories that it tries to point me to are the other wrestling stories. Because if they do that, if they, if they know that I'm more interested in doing that, I'm more likely to click on it. And I know that, and so I actively combat against it. But a majority of people don't realize that, no, the biggest news story of the day is not the Kardashian news story. But because you've read so much about Caitlyn Jenner and Kim Kardashian and Lamar Odom that you have basically trained your computer to go like, well, the first thing they're going to want to read about in the morning is the Kardashian story. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, you don't care. And if you go back to what we started this conversation at, if you look at sports fandom and and activism as well, you become so focused on the one issue that you never really get a chance to appreciate the global picture as it exists. You can't. Mm -hmm. You look at the crisis in Greece as a great example, because in America it was presented as well. You know, we, we the the people in Greece are. You know, they're, they're living in apocalyptic times. There's rioting on the streets. There's burning everywhere. There's riots all over the place. People can't eat. There's no money. And if you spend five minutes on, uh, you know, going outside of those news stories and, like, look at actual, you know, talk, try to talk to people who actually live there, the situation isn't that bad, like, on the street. It's not that terrible. But they have people... And, and and you're able to present this narrative in a way because it's just so hyper-focused on one thing. And the more that we allow that to happen in all forms of life, the more dangerous it becomes. You, you, you're an activist. The, what's the most important thing to a free democracy? Uh, you know, I, right off the top of my head, engagement. Well, I, you're the answer. Uh, see, I set you up because the answer is always, what's the most important thing for a free democracy? A free and an unencumbered press is the most important thing to a democracy because you need to have, re equal, you know, reporting and people need to, engagement is part of that because you need to there have, you go. it is part of that because you need to have people willing to engage in that, but you also need to have people willing to cover the stories in a way that right. will not necessarily be the most popular way to cover it. Do you think, the way I look at it is if you go back to the Watergate scandal, do you think people in the United States really wanted to know what a scumbag their president was? I don't think that they did. It, it, it broke the nation for 10 years but here's the thing 
and going back to how the internet and social media make things smaller, Watergate broke. People did not know what was going on. We didn't have 24-hour media. So when that broke, people were so inundated with information and they wanted to know about this Watergate scandal and is there much more to Nixon that people thought there was? Um, how did all this thing was going to happen? Whereas now, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of funny when you hear things like, you know, 48 hours until Joe Biden may or may not announce for presidency. Breaking story. It's like, no, breaking story was like once in a lifetime or every so often type of thing. Breaking story, like an MSNBC, seems like every five minutes is a breaking story. Yeah, breaking story, the new Star Wars trailers come on. Is that really newsworthy? That's what I'm saying, you know, breaking story, turtles crossing the road. I don't care. And also, can I eat the turtle? <laughs> Are, and more importantly, are they teenage, are they mutant, and are they ninjas? Because if they're none of those three things, then I don't care. At least one of the three. At least one of the three. I prefer. I, uh, all right, real quick, you can pick. They can be teenage, they can be mutant, or they can be ninjas. What do you want your turtles to be? You can only pick one. They got to be mutant. I'm going to go with ninja. A slow-moving ninja. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to see how that would work out. Sounds like me. I would be the slow-moving ninja. AJ on the Skype feed, ladies and gentlemen, is slow motion and karate chops. Or am I doing Tai Chi? Or are you doing... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? It doesn't pop up under my wrestling ads, so I haven't learned enough about martial arts and what which ones are proper. I know that you're not doing DDP yoga. That's what I know you're not doing. And I don't want to do DDP yoga. <laughs> I do. I, I like it. He's a, he's, he's a very positive person. He's yeah. very positive. You know, it's funny the way that you say that because the... It, that's a very true point, going back to how you started that with when Watergate broke, it was the only story. You know, it was. If you think about it, it was the only story for probably months. Like, what's the number one story on every headline in every newspaper in America? It's the Watergate scandal. Whereas nowadays you go, great example, that hurricane that just hit Mexico, that thank mm-hmm. God didn't do that much damage. But for two and a half days, that was the number one thing. But then nobody died, and that story just, I mean, I think six people died. But in comparison to what could have happened, very, very light. Um, If you're not, I I think you and I have talked about this before, that there are people in your life that you look to as the the median American, right? The the American who kind of represents other people to you. And Mm -hmm. I have two, my friends, uh, Nicole, my friends, Laura, who they... I'm always curious to know what news stories they are following because to me those are the ones that represent what most people do and if you try to explain to somebody that uh, here's a great example is the John Oliver you know you and I are both big John Oliver fans we watch that show religiously and he covers a serious issue for 20 minutes you know 15 to 20 minutes every week and sometimes it's an issue that people know about a lot of the times it's something you've never even considered learning about my thing is, or at least expand on it. I, I like to think of it as I like to think of it as Schoolhouse Rock for adults in a it way. Is. You know, these are the things you need to know about, whether or not you do or don't. And a lot of people our age don't care anymore about the important stuff, and they're much more interested in. And I wonder how much of it is just perception. You're able to see it more because of the internet and how much this was true in the old days. But you and I have talked many times about the lack of people voting, right? Two-thirds of Americans don't vote. And that's disgusting to me. I mean, it's just disgusting. It's the, it's the easiest thing you can do in the United States, and people don't do it. And it, it's one of those things where you have to look at it and go, okay, 
do people not vote because they are because if you ask somebody who doesn't vote why don't you vote well my vote doesn't matter it's all but that's a cop-out excuse it's a cop-out excuse by people because the truth is your vote does matter whether you want to admit it or not you didn't vote because you're lazy you know and that's and that's really what it is you didn't want to get up and go before work or go after work and wait in line for 10 minutes to go fill out either a paper or a computer ballot you just didn't want to do it and that's okay but don't lie to me about why you didn't want to do it and that's right. another thing that facebook has really allowed people to do is to lie about their motivations for stuff right and you look at the cubs thing the blackhawks thing you know it's very easy to and again, you and I have talked about the, the, the easy effect of, of, of clicking. I clicked on it. Obviously, I'm involved. Okay, I'm going to go back to doing whatever I was normally doing. It's time for me to watch Arrow. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that as time goes on, we need to actively fight against it. We need to let people know. And the Cubs thing is just a micro. The reason it starts with the Cubs is that's just a microchasm of what the downside of this stuff is you have to care. We have turned being disengaged into a Zen-like thing. Nothing bothers me, and that's okay because I don't want anything to bother me. That's a dangerous precedent to set for a generation of people because, let's face it, there are still troops in Iraq and Mm -hmm. there are still troops in Afghanistan, but we don't talk about those two things very much unless something really bad happens. Or there's political points to be scored by the right or the left by mentioning it. But ask a majority of people about it, and they'll go, oh, well, yeah, I guess there are. Like, they don't, they're not engaged on that level. When I was a kid, I remember uh, the first Gulf War was a big deal. It was the number one story every single night the entire time that it happened. And it was the on the front cover of every magazine. My dad got a copy of Time Magazine. I'll always remember this because I was in second grade. And I opened up the magazine, and it had a map, like a tactical map of Iraq. And the map had, like, all these different lines, and it looked like a a real time strategy game just printed out in Time Magazine. It was this cool little thing. But it, it, it was part of this media explosion that was the first Gulf War. And here we are into... Vietnam was 15 years, realistically it was more 10, that it was a full-on combat war. This is a longer war than Vietnam. Now, we haven't had the same casualty numbers, which allows people to act like it, but we also have that thing of the media is no longer allowed to go to Dulles to film the arrival of, of bodies when they come in you know, from overseas. We don't see the coffins. We don't see this stuff. And, and it forces people to kind of put stuff on the back burner. And the truth is, there's not a public outcry for any of this stuff to change. You know, there are those who would badmouth. I think you and I talked about this once a long time ago. And it was the, there's this thing that happens now where a big news story breaks or a sports story breaks or something happens. And people will post online, here's what was happening while this story, while here's what the, this story was hiding from you, that the media hid from you. And uh, like I th- the best example was the Caitlyn Jenner thing. People were like, well, Caitlyn Jenner's story was being reported on. You know, this soldier died in Iraq. This thing happened. This thing happened. And you didn't know about it because you didn't bother to, because you were too distracted by this story. And I, and I see those and I go, yeah, but 
if you didn't read the Caitlyn Jenner story, the other stories would go to the top. The The website isn't going to put, some, like CNN, for example's main story, isn't going to be decided by CNN. It's decided by us. They go off of what we tell them we want to see because they're a business. The more we let that happen, and, and the more that... Great example, Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite gave you the news every night. He didn't tell you the news you wanted to hear. He told you the news that was the news because that was the news. The news was a reporting of facts. Now the news is opinionated facts. These well, facts are open to interpretation when facts are facts. Social media has allowed all of us to just kind of pigeonhole ourselves into our own little universes and not have to take in the information from anywhere else. You, AJ, do all of this amazing work that you that you try to do to help people and to make the world a better place. And at the end of the day, you know, there's no reflection on it. it, it it's just, it's so disheartening. Mm-hmm. And the Cubs thing with how people reacted to that, the same thing happened when the Blackhawks lost in the Western Conference Final against the Los Angeles Kings. People are just so willing to drop this stuff that matters and move on to the next form of entertainment that... The news has become entertainment. No, that's absolutely right. Um, I, I, we've talked about, as you said, many times on our respective shows, and you know, the news is not a platform for entertainment. It's not a platform to be entertainment tonight for the daytime. You know, or TMZ in the daytime. You know, news is supposed to be this outlet to distribute through this channeling of what's going on in government, what's going on in society, and because of um, mud raking journalism, because of it bleeds, it leads, because of you name it, has really turned mass media into entertainment and because of the one of the downfalls with the internet and social media is that people turn to that um i can't tell you that i have really went more towards what people say in facebook than actually picking up a tribune or a sun times or um, a new york times or whatever um because Social media is now has turned to this alternative form of media that I just can just scroll through and kind of get a gist of what people are doing, or at least saying, "Oh, this teenage girl who just got thrown by the police in the school." Like I can get that like right then and there before it hits the media, you know, before it hits MSNBC. Um, well, there's a great example of that in um, in what you're talking about, where traditional media has now been beat by social media. The best example is the NBA draft. The NBA draft is covered live by ESPN. They have ESPN reporters in every draft room. They have ESPN reporters in every station. They have ESPN reporters standing right next to the commissioner when he receives the final pick. And without fail, every year, at least a minute before the commissioner walks to the podium, Twitter has who the next draft pick is. You know, it's, it, it, it beats them to it, which is a good thing as far as me. And, and before we 
get ready to wrap this thing up, I do feel it's important that we that we point out that social media activism can do some good things. It's a great tool for raising money. Uh, you know, there are people who made fun of that ALS uh, ice bucket challenge from two summers ago, but that mm-hmm. made more money for ALS in one summer than they had made the last, I think it was like 10 years combined. And, right. you know, there is a positivity to it, but there's also... Ask people like, "Oh, the ALS ice bucket challenge." Well, what is ALS? And people don't know. They don't, they, and they don't care. All they know is that it's it's what is going on on social media. And damn it, I should need to be a part of it, whether or not I want to be. It's it's, you know what it is, man. It's 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 junior high recess run amok. Mm-hmm. Is really what it is. There, there's all of this going on, and I should need to be a part of it. And you know, granted, I care about whether or not the homeless eat, but not nearly as much as I do as being part of the conversation. And it's driven us into this place now where Donald Trump is a legitimate presidential candidate because he he looks good on social media, and he's funny to some people, and it's a joke. And because he's become an internet joke he's also a viable candidate because he just has a powerful online presence 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 he has a powerful online presence where people are constantly tweeting about him or talking about him and that just keeps his name involved which helps him in his run for presidency there's a dark side to this stuff that we're doing and we're not acknowledging it early enough and there's so much noise on social media that it's hard to cut through and get to the big issues, global warming, you know, economic inequality. Yeah, it's really easy to go, I think people should get paid more. But then for every person who posts, you get 15 people who don't know what they're talking about posting. I still have people to this day who I grew up with in high school who are now right-leaning crazy people who still question whether or not Barack Obama is actually an American citizen. Like, that's still a thing that pops up from people. It's insane. And it, and it just, it, it furthers this... Mm-hmm. This problem. We're coming up on the end of this thing here. We got like another 10, 15 minutes. What would you do, AJ, if you could? If you could help fix this, what would you do? In terms oh, in terms of our, our original conversation? Yeah. <sighs> well, I don't think it, it, it can be fixed per se, but what can be done is really driving home the fact um, going towards the sports teams. You really have to drive home the fact that, you know, are you doing this? Are you a fan for leisure or are you a fan because you are a fan? And if you can actually split that line, then you know who to focus on more of rather than the huge, broad um, numbers, just like activists. You know, are you an activist or an organizer because you feel you should or are you doing it because you really want to put your heart and soul into this cause and if you can kind of filter that process out and I think I think you can focus more on those who are the real deal and actually get more stuff done rather than put everybody in one category and try to mobilize them. Same way with sports fans. You know, if people are just going there because it's a social thing, they want to drink, they want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings, they want to do the draft, you know, because it's fun. Whereas, you know, someone's going there because they 
they bleed blue, they bleed red, they bleed whatever. Um, I think that's the way to do it rather than um, be nihilistic about it. I also think that there's there's something to be said nowadays for people being willing to to stand up and go. One, I don't. Yes, it's it, I'm. Ha- it, it to me, it comes down to looking at somebody and going, "I am happy for you because this clearly matters to you." But that doesn't mean it has to matter to me. And I also think that there there's there's a problem now where. If, if you were going to try to get people to understand that just clicking like on something or doing a thir- taking 10 seconds to do a post isn't the same as actively helping, don't get me wrong. If you go out and, and you see something that's wrong on, the, uh, on Facebook and you share it, you are in some way contributing to, to try to help. But that's, it's not enough anymore to just go out there and, and click on this stuff and then act mm-hmm. like your life is better. My sister's a social worker. She busts her ass trying to help, you know, people who need legitimately need help and she this is what she does for a living this is what she does for work and that's out there helping people you're out in the streets doing the protesting it's 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 one of those things where i think people need to start learning again the idea of what sacrifice really is i really think that that's part of it to live well, it's just sports it's just like sports um I'll, i'll say this in brief um because I've been a player and a coach, high school and college level, I feel that I am more of a fan of something than someone says that they're a fan because I know what it takes to what they're doing and everything because I have those relationships with certain people because, you know, that's what I've did before, you know, as someone says, yeah, I mean, I'm like, no, you don't know. You just don't know, you know, until you actually – put yourself in that situation, then you can say, you know. Well, it's, it's, I, I'll be honest with you. You and I one time should do a show about there, – there's a thing that happens with sports journalism nowadays where people who, who played or coached like you do kind of do the whole uh, mm-hmm. you don't know, you don't know. And, I, and I, there, there is some truth to that, but it, I've always been of the opinion when it comes to sports fandom – it's another great example of, of sacrifice. You have to be willing to cr- almost cry and be heartbroken with your team to really enjoy the win. If you don't enjoy, right. if, if, you, if you're not willing to open yourself up, you know what? Here, it's even better than that. It's like being in love. It really is. You have to open yourself up to the possibility of being so hurt because that's the only way that you can also experience true love and partnership with a person it's why i would argue that i've probably never really been in mad love with a woman i've had women i thought i was in love with but i've never been truly open with somebody i'm not truly open with anybody even myself because god forbid i do that um i think that that's part of it i think i think the 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 idea of what it means to to sacrifice your own well-being in a way so that you can reap the benefits later is something that we've lost. Right. Exactly. Uh, we're getting ready to close up on the end of this thing here, AJ. Anything you want to say to the people? Anything you want to plug or necessarily get into before we get out of here? No, other than that, you know, I mean, social media um, is a a tool 
when it comes to activism and organizing. It's not the end-all, be-all thing. Um, it's okay to click like. It's okay to say you're going to an event. It's okay to do the online petitioning and all that, but that's just a tool and not the overall thing and everything and all that. So um, I would just encourage those, you know, if you want to do that, that's absolutely fine, but don't call it like activism until, you know, you want to be committed to an actual cause. And I would say, topping off of that, if you're going to call yourself a sports fan, be willing to cry with your team when they lose. Don't just shrug it off. Shrugging it off is what people, is what bitchy-ass millennials do. That's what it is. Oh, this doesn't bother me. Nothing bothers me. Everything's fine. No, I don't care. I, I, nothing ever bothers me. Well, the problem with having nothing ever bother you is that eventually you find yourself with nothing to care about. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I would say. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarantos. Joining me over Skype is AJ Signera. AJ, say bye to the people. Bye, people. There we go. Uh, We will talk to you guys later on in the week. Other than that, enjoy the World Series and the countdown to Star Wars The Force Awakens. I have begun cutting myself every day that passes that I don't get to see that movie. We'll talk to you guys later. We're out! This has been a production of the Chicago Podcast Network. Theme music provided by the Free Music Archive. Morning Blue by Josh Woodward. That's Josh Woodward on the Free Music Archive. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Gmail. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.